Hi, my name is David Speed. And I'm Adam Brazier. And this is the Creative Rebels podcast. Featuring inspirational stories and practical advice from some of the most prolific and successful creators in the world. Adam and I have co-founded multiple creative businesses and turned our varied passions into our careers. There's never been a better time in history to make a career from being creative. So many people will tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to show you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast. Welcome back, Rebels. Hello, that was a good one. Oh, thanks. Um, I just want to say thank you to anyone who's listening who's left us a review on iTunes. It Ah. means so much to us and we read every single one. And the fact that you've taken a couple of seconds out of your day to do that for us, it means the world. So just genuinely thank you. Yeah, thanks, guys. Make sure you keep using the hashtag Creative Rebels on Instagram. And don't forget that we do Rebel of the Week every Sunday where we will be showcasing some of our favourite creators. Get involved. Yes. So do you know what? Since we've been doing this podcast, mm-hmm. something has... I've, I've started analysing something that I've never really thought about before, um, which is how you and me work together. Oh, interesting. But, and, and the only reason is because people keep asking, like how, whenever we're yeah. at uh, events and stuff, and they're always like... And so I've just started thinking about it more. I suppose, yeah, this podcast is quite a good example of how we work together because we both have our skill set and kind of without each other, we couldn't do it. It's like there's like the tech side of things and then you do all like the writing and the blog posts and all those kind of things. And it's I think the important thing is finding balance, isn't it, between your skill sets? Yeah, definitely. And I suppose when I had the fir- the idea for Graffiti Life in the beginning, I knew that I couldn't do it on my own mm-hmm. and I thought I could learn how to do how to build a website and I thought I don't want to and I, I think a lot of a lot of creators get to that stage where they're like I could bring someone else on now but I don't want to share the pie mm. um, and for me I was like I'd rather have a, a third of a big pie than like 100% of a tiny little dirty old pie. Yeah and I know that like if you look at the stats, the actual kind of productivity and how much output you can make as a single person compared to having like a team of people, it's like if you've got four people in a team compared to one, it's it's more than four times the output. Because when you're if you're if you're on your own, it's really hard, especially to have like deep work, like focused time, because you have to do so many different things. So you're kind of flitting between, oh, now I need to do this, now I need to do this, now I need to do this. And anyone listening to this who is a freelancer, who is a solo kind of entrepreneur you know that feeling you know how like you're like okay now i've got to do this now i've got to send some emails now i've got to like check my tax now i've got to email my accountant like there's just so many little things that you have to do in a day that just absolutely eat up your time and that's before you even make your content or make whatever it is that you're doing as a job yeah definitely i i would encourage people to to think about teams to think about how you can spread the workload how you can get other people energized and behind the same mission that you have, uh, however you want to impact the world, whatever it is that you want to do. Are there other people that align with you that can help you? And like, because together you are so much stronger. It's, it's a cliche, like together we're stronger, but like, it's, it's really true. Like as soon as this podcast makes enough money for us to be able to employ a team around it, like you guys are going to be like, bloody shut up. I'm getting too much content. We will be flooding into your ears at all times <laughs> because, because it will allow us to, outsource all of the the kind of back-end stuff and just focus on creating the content just speaking to camera making podcasts like that that's what we'll be doing full-time and what you're talking there about aligning and values i think that's really really important but i think you don't want to align in skill sets like those are two yeah. things you definitely shouldn't do you, you basically want to find people who like 
basically make a list of all of the things you could do in your business. What are you really bad at? Like, what are you not particularly good at? And what are you best at? Because you should be focusing on those things that you're best at. Because someone else is good at the other stuff. It's like, that's why, like me, David and Yana really compliment each other as business owners. Because all of everything that we're good at, someone else is bad at. And as a full person, we're a great, like, we're a <laughs> super machine. So it's finding that difference because I know people who've been really, really similar, had the same skill set. They were all like a bunch of three designers who all came together and formed a company. And suddenly one person wasn't designing anymore because they were doing the kind of admin role. They were doing the accounts. Like, And then they'll start to resent the other members as well do, because yeah. they're like, oh, you're doing this bit. Why, have, why am I the one who's got to do this? Yeah, and it's just because they're slightly better at that. But the reason they went into business on their own in the first place is because they found something they were passionate about and they wanted to follow that. So it's like if you're passionate about design, for example, you're like you might as well go and work for someone else being a designer rather than being a project manager or an admin role in a design company because it's like you're not there to do that. Yeah, and it's it's hard in the beginning. I mean, you you me and Yona all started working together full time, having known each other for like ten minutes, yeah. like for for a couple of weeks. We we barely knew each other, and so we had to learn each other's. I mean, like we're all fucking weirdos. Like we had to learn each other's quirks, quirks and and what pisses someone off, and and like make sure that we're not doing that to upset that person. And and that's a that's a learning process, and that takes time. But once you do get into that groove, it's like we, it's unspoken. We all know how we all work together now, and it's just it's just like a, a flow. Yeah, and it is harder at the start. It's easier to get enough wage for one person. As soon as you're trying to get multiple people's wages like when you're starting from nothing that's really difficult but then when you come out the other side of that once you've achieved that it makes things a lot easier because the load's a lot more spread you can just you can scale a lot quicker but I think what would be like a good solution if you don't really want to go into business with someone else is find other people who are in the same position as you with doing solo things you could come together and work together and help each other out because you might even find by doing that you end up forming a group and company together anyway but if you do have that kind of like, oh, I don't really want to give away any of my company and you, you're so set on that that's the way you're going to be. Yeah, find a collective of people who do other things. You can come together, work, and then when you need your accounts doing, you get your accountant mate to do it. When you need your a website doing, you get your web design mate to do it. And everyone can help each other out. And you get someone who is just expert at project managing stuff and they can almost like flit into these other companies as a freelance role yeah so i don't want to worry anyone who's like kind of at the start of their journey you don't have to think about a team straight away for me it was like i need a website to do this i need to find that person straight away i need to know how to deal with clients to how to price my work and all of that sort of stuff which is kind of where yona came in first in a kind of consultancy role uh, very informally and then and then became part of the company and that's a perfect example is because like we realized okay well this person is giving us so much value yeah but they might leave and then not give us any value anymore so let's lock, <laughs> let's lock them down so we locked Jonna down um but like but do you know what i mean it's like we we were like rather than lose this person we would rather have her become an equal member of the company so that um we can grow this together and we don't lose that person uh, if you are at the start like don't worry about it too much it's like you don't have to go and find business partners tomorrow but if someone comes into your life and starts saying things that you're like i've never thought of it that way and starts offering and giving like really valuable advice and things like that like maybe they're the sort of person that you might want to partner with like keep your options open and always consider because yeah. like we always say the people that you will meet will change your life 
I think one thing that is really important to think now is just like, think about what you want. Do you want a big company? Do you want something? Do you want a team of people around you? If that's what your goal is in the future, then you should try and start assembling a team as quick as possible. If you just want to be freelancing on your own forever, if that's what you like and that's what you love doing, that's fine too. Then you don't need a team, but just think, but just realize that that's never going to scale to the level that a company could. So just keep that in mind. It's like, what do you want? And so this week's guests are Helen and Sarah from Amazing If. And it's really interesting watching how they interact with each other. And it's the same as us. Like they know each other's strengths and weaknesses mm. and can almost finish each other's sentences. And Which I think they do a few times. Yeah, and you just did for me. So. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is a really interesting chat with two people who've left the corporate world to go and do something a bit more creative. Yes, this week's guests are Helen Tupper and Sarah Ellis, hosts of the Squiggly Careers podcast, authors of the Squiggly Career book, and the founders of Amazing If. And their mission is to make work better. In this episode, we talk about Squiggly Career, making a difference and taking chances. Your career doesn't always have to be linear and in one area. You can take a chance and there's, as long as you um, do it with passion and energy and think about it, then it doesn't matter if it goes wrong because you'll still have learned stuff. Helen and Sarah. Hello. Thanks for coming on our podcast. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. So I've heard you guys say before that um, you're you're great when like everything's flowing and you can talk about what you do and all of that sort of stuff, except when it comes to like doing your introduction. Oh, when people no. say like, what are you doing to us? <laughs> so that's still the case though. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I'm the same. Like I, I, I don't have anything rehearsed of like, this is who I am and this is what I do. Like as soon as we get into it, I'm fine. But when someone says why don't you tell me a little bit about what you do? It's just like, and it really catches me off guard. Yeah, and I think I find it uh, harder now that um, now that we do so many different things. So, you yeah. know, I was like, when I was in the corporate world, you have a job title. Yeah. Um, and, you know, your job title is not your identity, but it is a really easy way to, and really boring way to introduce yourself. So since, like, we've both kind of not got that anymore, when someone says, oh, like, what is it that you do? I, like, really freeze. I'm like, um, I do a podcast and I write some books and, I don't know, I work with my really good friend. And they're like, so what do you actually do? And I'm like, oh, that's a good, it's a good question. So I do think you should practice your intros, but we don't, seem, don't think we're getting any better yeah. at it. I think um, I find it easier for start with mission first so our mission is to make work better for everyone and we do that in a number of ways with the squiggly careers podcast the book the squiggly career and the work that we do with organizations so i tend to find that starting with the the why yeah. first better than the what in the simon sinek like, kind yeah. of way i think that's very good yeah See, that, you sound like a pro yeah that's, that's good <laughs> are you accepting yeah. that yeah yeah okay, <laughs> done. Good. okay we've we've got we've improved on that one then mission first <laughs> yeah. yeah cool yeah. so that was that mission ticked <laughs> how did you how did you come about your mission actually quite uh, took quite a lot of reflection didn't it? I think we take this stuff like really really seriously and um, when we started when we started out so the business um, and us kind of doing amazing if together we started out in a conversation in 2013 and about how kind of careers have changed and how people didn't seem to have the resources to help them navigate it and um, we at the time said two things like wouldn't it be amazing if more people love their jobs and we talked quite a lot about happy careers and so the business became amazing if and, the, and our initial kind of ideas was how do we help people have happy careers but the more that we got into it the more happiness it just didn't feel mm. quite grounded and credible enough and we wanted to get to make I think making work better just felt bigger and more meaningful than just happiness in isolation so that we I mean we've reflected 
over and over and we play with words and even now it's like is it work or is it careers but I think we quite like the process and we think that purpose is really important so I don't think it will radically change but for us it's it's important that the work that we do is important and that we're both aligned on it so we still we still talk about it we still try and refine it I think when we first started um, I know everyone says oh you know start with the why I think we actually started with the how so we were looking at careers and career development stuff and at that time there were probably two things that were around like that a lot of people were looking at. There was loads of TED Talks, which were really inspirational, all those kind of big, like, um, you know, speakers yeah. getting on stage, telling you to live your job and that kind of stuff, which was uh, brilliant, but quite hard to then put into practice, like the next day at work, you know, yeah. when you're like yeah. back at work yeah, the next yeah, yeah. day, sitting, sitting at your desk and you're like, oh, how do, how do I do that? And then at that time as well, there was kind of a real uh, flux of loads of people, you know, like images of people doing yoga, sitting on the beach, sort of going, oh, just just relax, do what you love. Yeah. Um, which is almost why we moved away, I think, from like happiness. Because again, I think those things feel quite far from people's reality. You know, if you're like in London every day, you're just trying to pay your rent, yeah. you know, and like hopefully enjoy as much of what you do as possible. Um, so we, when we were kind of creating Amazing If and all this kind of squiggly career stuff, we really started with like, right, how do we do career development in a practical, useful way that people can use straight away? So it almost sounds like, boring you know it's a bit it's, but it's a bit more like just useful and very action focused and we because we both came from kind of big corporate backgrounds we were like right let's ban powerpoint slides which we have done we've never used a single slide we live draw which i don't like saying to two people who are yeah. clearly way better at drawing than us because <laughs> i'm like oh no i don't i really don't want you to look at those drawings but we do live draw every session like let's design learning so that it works for introverts and extroverts Helen's like much more of an extrovert than me. I'm much more introverted. Let's not put people on spot and do role plays. Let's just like make stuff like it kind of fun to learn and relevant and that you can that you can use really quickly. So I think actually we started with the how and then we just started experimenting. Like we we didn't intend to start a business or any like anything like that. We had a coffee, had a kind of a little bit of a gem of an idea. And then we just started doing it. We just started designing this learning. I don't know why we thought we could, but we did. We just had a go. And then we just basically got our friends and mates to turn up to these workshops to see if it was any good. And then just sort of went from there and just kind of kept playing, kept like trying stuff out, really. So what did your life look like at this time? Were you both working in corporate jobs? Yeah. and full so, time. Yeah. So I was at Virgin, so Virgin head office, and I was uh, at the time launching a new business called Virgin Red. Uh, and you were I was at Sainsbury's. I think I probably would have been, I was head of corporate responsibility. Uh, so we were both working full time, was leading quite big teams and quite traditional roles and really organisations. So it, like, I'm really it, it didn't it. come from a place of, oh, I don't like my job, so I'm going to... I hate the corporate world. It, it, it's like we don't. Yeah, it's like, do you know, we really like work and lots of people keep coming to us as questions. And it was the first time we'd gone to university together quite a while before that. And it was the first time we'd worked in the same city at the same time. And I think we were saying, oh, these people are coming to me and asking these questions about their career. And Sarah's like, yeah, me too. And, and then it was in trying to help them that we realised that the, the right thing didn't seem to be there. And we love learning wanted to work together just wanted to try and help people and and that that was kind of the gem of it really and what was the the first like form of that happening <laughs> it was an event in a members clump that no longer exists yeah it's called, that long ago <laughs> <laughs> it's called adam street and it, I've, I've got the date of it somewhere because i think i had a, a photo from it and um and we just launched some evening sessions uh we put it on eventbrite and uh and it was it, like we've, we've got a lot of people in that room in fact i should probably look on eventbrite at how we described it because i'm not quite sure what we did for yeah. those like 60 or 70 people in that room and we designed the sessions in my house with a lot of 
post-it notes yeah. stuck up on on kind of the doors in my house um but I think we just we're just really passionate about helping people and we actually really like work and I think it was just I think a lot of the passion carried us at the beginning and I think now it has become a lot of practice like we've done so many different sessions work with so many different organizations on career development that that the passion has now thankfully been complemented by the practice but at the time I think it was just a lot yeah. of energy I think we sort of did a side project before side projects were a thing. And mm. now I definitely claim it because it makes us sound cool, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which no one probably says cool anymore. But um, <laughs> we, and at, you know, at that time, we, neither of us had kids. So we chose to spend lots of our spare time doing this stuff. We were like, let's design some learning that we think will be really helpful for people's careers. Um, let's refine it. You know, we were spending Sundays together ignoring our partners or Helen's husband and just going, oh, let's design some learning and like practicing it working out what we want to do next getting really excited spending our evenings so you know we were like just dedicating loads of extra time to it and I think we then just you just really enjoy it and that's what I was I kind of always say I always get worried when people feel like they should have like passion projects or side projects because they they should have them or do I need to have that like on my CV or anything now I'm just like you should just do those things because you enjoy it you know you should if you want to do a podcast do it because you love it you know you were both saying before how much you really enjoy it and that's the reason to do it if it becomes a chore or something you find hard then I think you've sort of lost the point of it and I think that's almost why we've kind of survived through you know lots happened in the last six years and now we do have three kids between us and you know lots of stuff happens in life generally but actually the one constant has been amazing if and all the stuff that we've done and it's morphed and changed and like we say we've just learnt by doing essentially. At what point did you take it from side project to full time? So I went first. So bearing in mind that it was never it was never going to be a full time thing. Yeah. The idea was that it would always just stay as this side project, and we, we liked our corporate careers. But I think there was a time I was at Microsoft. So I was marketing director at Microsoft, and that would have been at some point in 2018. Um, and I think that amazing if we're sort of growing on its own, the podcast was growing on its own. And I felt that I had these like emails every day. I was getting emails about all things Microsoft and all, all things that my team needed me to do and all yeah. the things that were happening in that business. And then I'd get this email from someone that had been on our course in like 2014. And they would just reach out to us and say, I just want to let you know that since you came and did this session, this is what's happened. And uh, I want to let you know how grateful I am and how brilliant it is. And I was like, I really like my job, but these emails are better. Yeah. <laughs> these, yeah. ones, these are the ones that like bring me joy. And I felt like I was making a real genuine difference. And I also thought, again, I had had two children at that time. And I think part of it for me was also thinking, what is the work that I want them to see me doing? And I did have a great job and I was proud of the job that I did at Microsoft, but I thought I want them to see me making a difference and me trying you know if amazing if it doesn't work and I go back into corporate life, I sort of want them to see me doing that as well, because Mm. I hope that that's, it helps them think about your career doesn't always have to be linear and in one area you can take a chance and there's as long as you um do it with passion and energy and think about it then it doesn't matter if it goes wrong because you'll still have learned stuff so i i took the leap i said to sarah i think <laughs> i don't quite i don't know how we had the conversation i was like i'm gonna no. think i'm gonna do this yeah i think it what was funny is uh i think out of the two of us we always thought i would go first and it's funny how that that's not the way it yeah. kind of worked out and then actually when Helen decided to go full time, I think it was actually quite a short conversation. We um, we were lucky in that we'd got some cash in the bank in our kind of business, in our business yeah. from some of the work that we'd done over the kind of five or six years. 
So we knew we could pay Helen for a bit. We knew we had at least kind of nine months or so. So again, we are quite practical entrepreneurs, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Um, and so it wasn't like we were going, oh, we've got to put our houses on the line. We, we knew we, we could give Helen some time and we felt she was relatively employable. You know, if it didn't work out, she'd probably get another job. <laughs> um, so Helen sort of did that. And then actually by the time, uh, it's probably only been in the last kind of six months or so, so the second half of 2019, that I also kind of joined so Helen. what's the time difference between those two? Uh, probably you spent nine months solo, Yeah, uh, Helen did. And then, because um, I had gone into a new role as managing director for a creative agency and was actually, hadn't been doing that that long, wanted to kind of keep going with that for a bit longer. So Helen had kind of nine months solo and then I kind of joined her. Um, and I think to be honest, I then got jealous. You know, like when one, yeah. when one of you's doing it, it's quite hard to like yeah. look over the fence and be like, oh, I, I, kind of want, <laughs> I want to play. Can I come and play, please? Um, and then we had like really big conversations about it. Like, oh, is it the right time? Um, and I think I was actually really nervous about it. Really, like really scared of kind of leaving behind, you know, just the permanent world of work. And you feel it's so far out of both of our comfort zones. You know, we both worked in organisations with around 150 to 200,000 people, you know, been part of all these big structures. And like we say, we weren't trying to escape those worlds. Um, and then suddenly there are two of you and you're like, wow, that's different. And that we've got no office and there's no like IT support. But I've got no manager. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I talk to Helen as if she's my manager because I just think, oh, I'm just, I'm not used to having someone, you know, not not responsible for me. So it's it's a whole new world. But I think you, you'll have this, you, you you approach things in different ways. I think Sarah will always think about things more than me and, and mm. consider and reflect more. And I'm always a bit like, not bull in a china shop, but once I've made a decision, I just go with it and I'll make that decision quite quickly. And so I think it actually, mm. I, since we've now sort of six months working together full time you really start to see your differences because we hadn't ever worked together that much before and I think you start to see your strengths how you approach things differently um and writing the book I think brought that out as well because it's such an intensive activity you just realize oh you like doing that bit or I really don't like doing that bit and you lean on each other for different (laughs) things so yeah we learned a lot about each other writing a book together I think it's fair to say (laughs) in terms of your roles Helen you've got the title of CEO yeah um, as co-founders, how did that decision come around? Because I went first and we kind of thought someone needs to someone needs to have this title and I was the only one sort of working um, in it. We kind of gave me it, I think at, in the beginning, it just seemed like a logical thing to do rather than a, oh, what role should you do and what role should I do? And then when Sarah came on board, um, it seemed like actually there are certain, I think I have some strengths in um, organisation, how I approach things, how I think about commercials and things like that. that and Sarah is, I think, more creative. And uh, you'll often, Sarah would often do a lot of the design of our programmes that it just, I don't think we put a lot of ego behind titles. If Sarah said, oh, I think, I mean, I said, Sarah, I think I want to be CEO for a while. I'd be like, oh, that's absolutely fine. As long as it didn't confuse like our audience or customers, I don't think they probably would. It'd be fine. We don't really... No, I think we're probably still quite new into figuring out like how we, uh, you know, roles and responsibilities and how that yeah. works. But I think what we're finding is actually the longer we work together, almost the more different we are. And you can, you can start to spot like where you add value and how different that is. And you, you just not, you're never precious about stuff. You kind of can't be precious because there's, there's only two of you and we have lots of freelancers who work with us, which actually we're really enjoying that, like that process of yeah. working with freelancers who are really creative and brilliant at kind of what they do. And so I think we're still finding our way, but that's almost the thing with the squiggly career thing is not feeling like the answer now has to be the answer forever. Mm. And actually, once you kind of step away from thinking, oh, this is 
that that's not a really big decision for us. Helen being the CEO is helpful for one of us, I think, to be a CEO when we're having conversations with companies. Um, and sometimes people do want that as kind of where's the starting point and Helen's that useful starting point. But if we change that, we kind of feel like you can. Also, that's the advantage of running your own thing, isn't it? You can sort of do what you want. You know, you have that freedom, <laughs> yeah. sort of to a point, I guess. So what are squiggly careers? Um, so squiggly careers, I guess sometimes it's easier to start with what they're not. So they're not uh, linear, they're not predictable, they're not something that you can plan for the next five, ten years. They are very fluid, there's lots of change in them, and that change can be in an organisation, maybe you're moving around different roles in an organisation, it can be in a profession, so it's about not feeling really constrained by the last job you did or the, the thing you originally studied. It's about a career with choice, and movement and what we find is that this idea of squiggly careers is full of opportunity right so as soon as you kind of go oh I don't have to just do the thing that I studied and I don't have to just stay in this discipline there's actually lots more possibility for me as soon as you see that opportunity some people are like amazing let me add it what do I need to do and some people are like that's actually a bit overwhelming because at least in that staircase ladder-like world I knew that if I showed up and did a good job they'd promote me in 2.5 years um, and in this one you're going to be doing jobs that don't even exist yet um, and you're going to be in organisations that maybe don't even exist yet if you look at kind of the pace of change. So for some people it's a bit overwhelming and that's that's kind of where we try and help. We try and give people the skills to succeed in a squiggly career because it is something that everybody can do something about, um, whether it's about knowing what really motivates and drives you or really knowing what you're great at and how it adds impact or having uh, an active network of people helping people so that you can explore your career possibilities all that is very very doable stuff it's just some people might need a little bit of help because not everyone has their own personal coach uh, or not everyone yeah. has all that stuff from day one and that's where we try and help people to feel more confident in that squiggly career I always say I've had more jobs and worked in more companies than my dad um, that's mad. <laughs> yeah, but that's not that unusual either. Yeah, if, yeah. Like, if I went and spoke to most people, certainly yeah, around this area, and that stuff. would. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's like he had uh, my, you know, my dad's a surveyor, and he's been a surveyor his whole career, mm. and he's worked in I think probably two or three companies, and and like it, I've not worked in that many companies, but I have in each of those companies, I have had two or three different sorts of jobs. I've been in and out of different sorts of disciplines and areas, and there was a really interesting article that said on average now we're all going to have four different types of career, so not even like changing jobs but actually just the majority of how we spend our time will shift at least three or four times during the course of our working lives and um, you can either see it as a liberating or scary or perhaps a bit of both if most of us are not going to retire in the same way that our parents <laughs> yeah. did which we're probably not or at least we're going to be working for longer I think suddenly you go oh okay well actually this is not about getting to a point where I'm done or like an end point it's yeah. much more about you know, thinking about how you spend your time at the moment does that work for you? Are you enjoying it? How could you enjoy it a little bit more? And then not worrying too much about, oh, there's going to be like an end point because for most of us, like that's almost like our, our kind of, there's not going to be like that retirement party. Yeah. Work has actually changed almost from every angle, whether you look at like who, what, why, where, when of work have all changed pretty simultaneously. Got five generations of the workforce all working together for the first time. Yeah. You know, in terms of like the, the age dem demographic, most people you know, don't necessarily need to like work at a desk in the same place every day. Only 6% of the UK work nine to five now, which again, when I when I go into lots of rooms, they yeah. does anyone work nine to five? Quite a lot of people I think would quite like to, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but very few people do. Mm. Um, so all of those things I think are changing. And I think sometimes our behaviours or people are still quite locked into that kind of 
old way of working or thinking about their careers and hopefully if you can open up those opportunities and feel confident about them then I think that's when people start to kind of really enjoy what they do. What would you say to someone who's in a corporate career at the moment and they feel like they're stuck on this path and they've been in this for a certain amount of time and they can't veer away from it? I would say I advise people to start with um, one or two things. So curious career conversations. So actually start, what is it that you're interested in and start making an effort to have those conversations with other people. What we find is that a lot of people apply for jobs rather than explore them. So they kind of go, I'm not happy. I'm feeling a bit stuck. I'm just going to go apply for another job over here. And what, it's like a gamble, isn't it? Like, yeah. well, let's yeah. just try this. Yeah. And no, they also, if that didn't work, try the next one. Yeah. They don't wait until they wait until they're unhappy before they start looking, yeah. which we're yeah. kind of like, actually, that's that's the wrong way of doing it. You want to explore regularly. It's not about applying for jobs regularly. It's about being curious about your possibilities and your potential and where you might have development opportunities as well. So I would say to people, in order to just stop being stuck, you've got to start being curious would be the first point. And then we would talk to people about confidence gremlins. So um, for some people, there might be a deeper confidence reason that's holding them back so they might think I don't know enough or I'm too young or I'm too old or I've not I'm not got enough experience in that area and that that can be a really limiting thought that stops them taking any action and so you've got to get into those confidence gremlins and help people to reframe how they're thinking think about their support networks start getting them reflecting on when they've been successful because that gives them the ability to take action I also think if you are listening to this and you're thinking, I feel really stuck, you're definitely not alone. I think lots, mm. lots of people feel like that and it can feel really hard because you might think maybe I need a certain amount of money or I need to be in a certain location or oh, I've only ever done this one this one thing. Um, and people can feel like that quite early on in their careers. In our experience, you know, you can talk to people in their mid-20s and they already feel quite stuck. Um, and, I, and I kind of promise you that there's, there's, there is always a kind of way out of that feeling stuck. But perhaps sometimes when you feel stuck, you're looking for a very um, dramatic change. You're going, right, I really don't want to be doing this thing. So therefore, I want to be doing something really different. Whereas actually, I think lots of small changes and doing that kind of gradually over time, while less kind of glamorous, is probably like a more sensible way of doing things. So if I think about, um, you know, some of the changes like in my career, when I I spent the first part of my career in marketing and then started to realise I really liked like learning, career development, that sort of stuff. That didn't happen overnight. In my um, day job, I started to look for opportunities to spend more time doing that. Started to like volunteer for a few things in my company where I could spend more time, get more experience. And then and then started to do a bit of stuff in my own time. Obviously started to do a bit of Amazing If. And so over time, if I looked at a percentage of time I spent on like learning and career things, it probably went from over the course of six years, it went from like 10% to 90%. Mm. So now it feels like how I spend my time now feels dramatically different and much more like what I would want to be spending my time doing and where I think I'm at my best and can add most value but that is that has taken that is a six-year process but I've still enjoyed all of that six years but that kind of hybridness and taking kind of small steps I I think is okay and um you know not feeling like you have to make these really massive leaps which I think can just put you under a lot of pressure like either emotionally or financially it's okay I think to do like a bit at a time yeah so Sarah you mentioned there um you're like you feel like you're doing your best and you mentioned in the book that when you feel like you're doing your best then that's when you're having the best time at work like you're going to enjoy it the most but how do people understand what they are best at how do people find their strengths 
Yeah, I think sometimes we're our own worst critics um, and it's hard for us to spot our strengths for ourselves. So I think one thing you can do is ask other people to help you. Um, and you can do this in kind of more informal or more kind of formal ways because people around you who work with you day to day, I bet you all of those people will be able to tell you the things you're really good yeah. at and your strengths. And sometimes people get a bit, you know, they get a bit embarrassed uh, about asking for that. But you can do that in, in really small ways. Like, you know, you can talk to someone you're working with on a project and just say, oh, you know, where do you think I add most value at the moment in this project? Or where can you see that I'm sort of, I, I feel like I'm, you know, in flow. And actually notice for yourself, um, sometimes I think it's really interesting at the end of a day to just think, what was the moment in that day where you felt like you were really in flow or you had loads of energy? You almost kind of lost the sense of kind of time and place because you were just like, oh, I really felt like I was sort of en yeah. really enjoying that moment. And then start to kind of spot the trends. Because sometimes for people's strengths, um, it might just be that actually they're brilliant in like group situations. Every time they're with a group of people, they're, bringing, they're brilliant at bringing groups together. Or it might be those moments where somebody gets to write and actually whatever they're writing, that's almost kind of them at their best and kind of at their happiness, happiest. So I think one, ask the people around you, ask the people who know you well. And that doesn't always have to be work people. We sometimes do an exercise um, in our workshops where we get people to WhatsApp people live and say, ask a friend family member and someone you work with just for three words that they would use to describe you um which is a really fun exercise and actually people right, like love okay. it they like whip the yeah, phones yeah. out and you, i can see you both are like itching to be like should we just quickly <laughs> yeah. and actually those words it's really interesting that even though those contexts are quite different like you know people in different ways those words are really revealing in terms of just often the strengths that perhaps you haven't appreciated for yourself like underappreciated yeah. strengths maybe like thoughtfulness or kindness or empathy you know or you're, you're a really caring person and those things are really useful at work but people dismiss them and I think often they get dismissed because they're things that you are naturally good at and people what we hear people say a lot is oh that's just me and it's like oh yeah but that is you yeah, yeah. and that's brilliant or you hear oh but everyone's good at that and that's also definitely not true. Like I hear some people say, oh, well, people, everyone's sort of said that I'm really caring, but obviously everyone's really caring. And I'm like, well, not in the way that you clearly are. And like lots of people are saying that about you. So that's probably a strength that you bring to work. You know, if you're a really caring person, you're probably a brilliant listener. You're the person that people can come to for problems. Yeah. You'll probably, you probably care about the work you do, the people you work with. So I think, um, yeah, just really, really think about those people you spend time with ask them for a bit of help if you're kind of struggling for that to see that for yourself and then yeah a really useful practical exercise is just every day for a week just literally on your way home just think when did I have the most energy today and think about what were you spending your time doing and look for trends I really like that it reminds me of almost like reviews for people because I remember consuming something ages ago that was um they were talking about looking at your reviews and seeing what are common trends within those mm. to see if there's any words that people use again and again and again. So like with the podcast, for example, like one word people use all the time is inspiring. So then we took that word and put it in our bio saying we're an inspiring podcast because that's yeah. what everyone's telling us we are. And we've got a tattoo studio around the corner and the amount of times that people said we were welcoming. So then we reframed our business as a welcoming tattoo Perfect. studio. Mm. Because then it's like you're taking that thing that everyone's saying about you and making mm. it like you're championing that and then showing it to the world exactly i remember um somebody once told me that i was curious so a manager i worked for said to me oh one of the things i think you're brilliant at Sarah, is you're really curious and i did that exact thing of being like that's not very useful that just basically, <laughs> that just basically means i'm like interested in stuff like how, how is especially not in a corporate environment how is that helpful and then i started to realize quite a few people were saying that about me and so it clearly was a thing it was a thing that people saw in me and spotted in me and then i started to realize how that was valuable 
in what I was doing, in the jobs that I was doing, in the teams that I was leading, whether that was in a corporate environment or in what we do now. So I think that's it's almost kind of a two-stage process. You sort of have to discover them first and then you sort of have the second stage of thinking about how can you apply those in what you're doing at work and how do they kind of, we talk about how do your strengths stand, up, stand out and show up in kind of everything that you do. I actually was doing this myself and really unintentionally last night somebody left me a review unprompted on um, a recommendation on on LinkedIn and I just thought oh I haven't had one of these for a while and I was just sort of scanning over the last I don't know the first one I've got probably like eight eight nine years ago maybe more actually and I was just scanning through all of them and I realized that there's one word that shows up I think in every in every one I wonder if you could oh no (laughs) don't don't even guess live live in the podcast (laughs) um so I'll show you don't Uh, do you want me to guess I'll I'll guess maybe uh energy uh, so that was the second one. It was positive was the one that showed Okay, up. I was quite close. Yeah, we were quite close. And that was from people that had either worked for me or had managed me or had worked with me. So they were kind of some sort of like an agency relationship. Um, and it just made me think about actually LinkedIn is another way that you could get, you know, you could start to look at if you've got yeah. recommendations, can you spot themes in there? But yeah, totally to say what Sarah's saying. Sometimes as well, we ask people, it's easier for them to start with what they're not very good at. So almost, okay, so if you're uncomfortable talking about your strengths let's talk about things that you might say are a weakness so I might say one of the things I'm just appalling at is detail not not great and then we help people to convert that into a strength so it's like okay so Helen if you're not if you're not great at this attention to detail thing why what is it that you're doing instead of that and I would say well I'm not great at being in the detail I get really bored by that because I love the bigger picture I find the creating the vision and thinking about the bigger picture and inspiring people with that much I can do that really easily I love doing that and it's like okay well there's your strength so sometimes you can also start with what are you not good at people tend to write those lists much yeah. more yeah, quickly people love those lists yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how much time should we spend on those weaknesses as can like what's the split of getting our strengths stronger or or working on our weaknesses yeah i always recommend roughly spend 80 percent of your time making your strengths stronger and 20 percent of your time mitigating weaknesses relevant to the role that you're doing today and or the roles that you want to do in the future i think in particular with that 80 percent um there are actually loads of things that we're all good at and very good at Mm -hmm. The thing that often we're particularly interested in is what are the two or three things that you are great at? You know, the kind of real strength spikes, we call them kind of super strengths. And they're the things that I think you can kind of choose to overinvest in, really become expert in, look for as many opportunities as you can to kind of spend time honing those things. Because essentially most of us kind of only become famous in inverted commas for one or two things, because that's all we have capacity for. Even though you feel, everyone feels like they're, busy we all feel like we're doing a lot of stuff but there's probably only one or two things that will show up again and again um and some of those types those things might be more kind of behavioral things so like helen just described like one of her kind of super strengths her kind of spikes is around positivity and energy and that's more of a behavior and a mindset that she brings to things and then for other people it might be a real kind of technical skill so it could be copywriting or it could be a particular type of copywriting and so there's no like right or wrong as to whether it's like a you know, more of a, a what, a behaviour yeah. or a kind of how in terms of how you get stuff done. It's just going, these are the things that are unique to you that actually that's where you kind of add a disproportionate amount of value. And also you've got to really enjoy those things. We always talk about you do choose your super strengths. So if you're very good at something, but you don't particularly enjoy it, 
don't overinvest in it. Don't yeah. spend too much of that. Because people are, though. People yeah. are good at stuff that they don't actually like that much, but perhaps they just ended up getting good because they spent quite a lot of time on it. And it's like, well, that's okay, but kind of keep that where it is. Spend more time getting really great at things you actually give you energy and that you really enjoy spending your time on. Yeah, I think the weaknesses thing is really interesting as well, because I think for me especially, just confidence was definitely a weakness that was almost debilitating in a way. So you, no matter how good you get at something, if some little tiny things are holding you back, it's like those are really need overcoming. From your experience in terms of like your audience, what are the most common problems that people have in terms of kind of that they need to overcome? In terms of the confidence? Yeah. Yeah. So um, ones that we see time and time again. So there's all, there's the imposter syndrome. So the I'm not experiencing enough. How many, how many workshops enough. would you say you've, you've done now? Oh, over six years of companies uh, and without oh. so it'd be thousands of people now yeah. um yeah. Uh, and actually in multiple countries as well we've done some uh, mainly you're in your kind of europe but yeah it would be thousands so, yeah i don't know 200 or so like yeah. we've done so we do because we yeah. do a monthly evening one we've done that for six years we do every week we do like i don't know five or we divide and conquer so like i've right, i've right. done one already today and this, so yeah every day we're doing <laughs> now we're doing them virtually as well so they kind of happen like all, all the time um so yeah we do see and actually, i was just coaching someone earlier and he said to me oh i bet everybody says what i'm saying and i was like no like ev- everyone's unique mm. so even though people might have the same confidence gremlin yeah. the i don't know enough or i feel too young or i'm scared of senior people or i'm scared of presenting fear of failure fear of failure all, all those ones are common in, sort of individually but they're experienced very very specifically and, yeah. and we would never be like oh right you've got imposter syndrome this is exactly what yeah. you need no. to do yeah. because, take this pill yeah, yeah. that's it <laughs> we would say pill. like how does that feel to you how does it show up um and then we would try and help that that person's almost reframe this limiting belief which might be i'm too young therefore i'm not going to apply for this job um into much more of what we would call a limitless belief which might be um my age gives me a fresh perspective so I can take action in new ways. And we were like, okay, attach yourself to that. That's way more empowering than this thing, this narrative you've told yourself for the last couple of years that's stopping you doing the things that you want to do. Um, so there's a couple of things that we try and do, but I wouldn't, yeah, it's never, oh, you fit that box. Yeah. So let's give you yeah. that solution. It's crazy, the age one, because that we've noticed that comes up often for us in our DMs and stuff. And, and it's either... I'm too young, I'm not going to be taken seriously or I'm over the hill, I'm not going to be taken seriously. <laughs> and there's no just magic period where Super you're the age. perfect age yeah. where everything just starts clicking into place and you're you're going to get make all the right decisions. It's it's like you're either like and and when you look at the the 25-year-old CEOs and the 75-year-old influencers and the people who just aren't being defined by that number because mm. at the end of the day it's just a number but yeah, well, I yeah. hope that's actually really going to help people because I think I really struggled with the too young thing, um, like to the point where I almost like changed the way I looked to try and make myself like look older and almost like feel older. I think, um, especially when I was working in like banking in Canary Wharf, yeah. um, I used to wear like black every day, um, just like straighten my hair. I've got really curly hair, and you know, I, I used to try and like conform. I think to something I wasn't to almost make myself look older. Um, and at that time, I think it was because I couldn't see any role models around me. I couldn't, I almost just didn't believe that it was yeah. that you could kind of succeed and be ambitious and do things I wanted to do and kind of be younger. But now I do see that almost like you say, because job titles are sort of just all merging into one and are becoming actually probably slightly less relevant because everyone just sort of takes whatever job title 
sort of takes their fancy um and because you do see more of a diversity i hope of kind of different role models especially you know and things like that's what i think you know one of the positive things about social platforms is making that accessible yeah. to people to kind of see hopefully now people just go okay it's sort of age is is not shouldn't define me that's kind of not the starting point the starting point is well what do i want to stand stand for what are the things that really matter to me and it doesn't you know we got um one of the kind of the podcast reviews actually that we really love we've had a few podcast reviews from people saying oh you know um i'm in my 60s and i'm i'm 18 months away from retirement and i'm loving your podcast and so many people assume that oh your podcast must be for people maybe in their 30s or 40s or people a bit like you and i'm like oh no i i those are the reviews that kind of mean the most to us yeah. i think often where you know people say i wish i'd had this podcast years ago <coughs> but i still love it now yeah so it's good in terms of role models for someone who didn't have any role models to someone who's now i assume you've got role models do you remember who the first one was who was kind of like oh, actually that's that's someone who i want to follow and go down that path yeah do you know what i do and i don't know whether it was it wasn't even just necessarily a role model i think it was someone who really believed in me so um one of the, i used to work uh, for a lady called sarah benison actually who's now on the board at nationwide uh, so she's still in banking and um she used to meet me every tuesday um in soho like quite early for breakfast yeah. i mean she was so much more senior than me and had no reason really to do this but she'd meet me for breakfast and she would just give me an opportunity to tell her my ideas and she would just listen to ideas that I'd got and some of these ideas were some exceptionally outlandish given I was in banking what I was doing in banking at that time who knows Um, I wanted to do all sorts of crazy stuff but she gave me a kind of platform and listened to my ideas my kind of creativity my curiosity and also sort of helped me craft a job that could almost like release that and suddenly I was in a job that I was so much better at than any job that I'd had before. Mm. And I think what I saw in Sarah was somebody, it wasn't like I was thinking, oh, I want to be exactly like Sarah. I think I appreciate kind of everyone is sort of slightly different. But what I did see was that she had recognised and spotted in me, I think, some of my strengths before I'd seen them for myself and just gave me that tiny bit of a kind of push uh, to kind of release that potential. And then it just felt so different. I just remember thinking oh, well, if this is what work can feel like, this is what I want to, I want to keep doing this. I want to spend more time doing these things where I'm adding so much more value. And, you know, suddenly work wasn't work. And I did really yeah, feel yeah. that difference. And so I, I would always be grateful for her because she she was like way too busy. You know, like she was on the board of like a big footsie. Like, I don't know, actually in hindsight, I kind of can't <laughs> believe she did it. Um, and we'd always sit in this same coffee shop by this big gold Buddha that's still there. And I still sometimes go and sit there like oh. and get a bit nostalgic about it. <laughs> I do actually really like it. And just think that was really, def- it's a really small thing that was so defining, I think, for me. Um, and yeah, it was probably the first time I didn't have to work in an office. I was in a job where mm. I was allowed to work in different places. And it, it just sort of released something where I was like, some, you know, like release the beast. I was like, that's it. That That's me now. And, you know, she's very different to me and had very different ambitions to me. Um, but she yeah she showed me the art of the possible so I would always be grateful to her you reckon because she did that to you it made you want to do it to other people definitely I think because at that point I was probably starting to lead teams for the first time and went on to then kind of lead quite a few big you know bigger teams over time I think it was about appreciating that there's not a one-size-fits-all approach to how you lead those teams but also you have to do it in your own way yeah, she, she, you know, she wasn't, she was quite introverted. She was, you know, she took the time to kind of build those relationships. Um, and I think what she had done brilliantly was understood me. So it wasn't about her, it was about me. She'd sort of got really brilliant empathy. 
and so I've worked for some actually some brilliant leaders um, and each time I think you take the bit that they're brilliant at and think wow if I could do I need to be my brilliant self but also if I can learn and be even a little bit as good as they are at that thing then you'll probably be kind of even better at your at your role that role of managers and leaders is so important to an individual's engagement and performance at work so there's some research that says 70 percent of someone's engagement in their work is dependent on the person that they work for and actually we recognize that as much as we can go into organizations and help individuals and we do love doing that if we can't also get into the managers as well yeah. then it, it it could create a bit of a challenge because you kind of have these people who are like all like excited about squiggly careers and they're like now they've got the skills to kind of go do something with them but their manager's like oh no no but you have to sit in this place for yeah. this particular time and they don't give them feedback and they don't create an environment where people can be vulnerable or where failure is okay um, and I think when you have manager, when you have people like Sarah's describing there it's liberating like people can I had a manager and I call him you my, work so hard don't you you work so hard and you're goodwill and you recommend them years and years and years yeah. on but the bad managers you go home and you share that negativity yeah. with your other half and yeah. that is like a black cloud that carries around with you um, and I we, we call them like growth mindset managers and think about actually management is a responsibility it's not just a role like you have you have the ability to make a profound difference to somebody's mental health their career future their happiness and why wouldn't you want that to be a positive yeah. difference and not a negative one so, so it's something that we like care an awful lot about and recognize that we we have to try and influence at that level if we want to try and achieve our mission it's so important, isn't it? I mean, in, in the past year, we've started being invited into businesses to do talks on creativity and upper management are like sort of all on board with that. Oh, it'd be great. Like, yeah, come in and talk, talk about creativity. But then you sort of, you sort of have to say to them, that's all fine and good, but unless it's supported by you, then it just doesn't happen. And so we've actually written it into the talk now where we've got a slide that says criticism crushes creativity um that where where we're kind of like looking at upper management while we're saying it and like if you don't support your staff being creative then it's never going to happen because if they don't have the freedom of oh, i can i can try this i can throw it up against the wall and see if it sticks mm. without the fear of judgment from the higher ups saying no that's a bad idea then if you do that then you're not encouraging creativity within your workspace so it's yeah it's if if something i suppose and i suppose that's company culture is it's formed at the top and then it trickles down mm. yeah i think you can never underestimate the shadow that you cast as a leader um i once did a project a really creative project which was um a kind of live tv show for sainsbury's um and we did it for one season and we decided not to do another another series and that could have been perceived as like oh is that a bit of a failure you're only doing one series you know how, how's that worked obviously it'd been quite you know, you'd invested quite a lot of money in that. And I really remember my boss at that time, um, who was on the board of Sainsbury's standing in front, up in front of everyone and saying, it was brilliant that we did this. We've like learned so much. This is what was good about it. And for me, that again, that could have gone two ways, one or two ways, because yeah. I'd very much been accountable for that project. And if that had been like, oh, that was a failure, it'd been really criticised, or people had kind of swept it under the carpet, I think that would have really impacted my confidence. And then the other ideas that I was going to go on to share and I kind of that was very much my corporate career was usually coming up with ideas that were a bit weird and wonderful that required them to invest some money and and actually her just taking the time to do that in a really small way it didn't take much it just took her you know being brave enough to talk about it and to sort of support me visibly and and so that people could kind of see that not only did that impact me but I'm guessing 
the other 200 people in the room also thought, oh, okay, well, if, if Sarah can do those really big things and experiment mm. in a kind of very big corporate culture and that's actually celebrated, if anything, it was celebrated and encouraged, oh, then maybe in my team or in my role, I can, I I can, can do, do the too, same. Yeah. So, Helen, I know one of your strengths is making things happen. Yes. <laughs> how do you make things happen? Oh, how do good I make... question. That's Ooh, a really good question. That is a really good question. Um, uh, how do I make things happen? Um, I I think I work. That's a really good question. How do I, I, I work at different paces. So I, 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 I like, I have a value of achievement. So I think if anything, if a project is too long, that doesn't do it for me. So there's one thing I've noticed. <laughs> so I quite like to almost create artificial urgency. Um, and so, so for example, today I was like, okay, I've got 15 minutes before I need to go and meet Sarah. So I was like, how, so I went and recorded a video for somebody and sent them an email and did like a pricing thing. I was like, I've got 15 minutes to do it. So I think part of, because I can link it to my achievement I quite like to break it down in that way and um, I'm also quite good at having multiple projects on at the same time so because I can sort of uh, manage lots of different things I think I'm achieving I work with pace across lots of different things at the same time and then my achievement drive means I like to I like to get it done I like to tick a box what I'm not very good at making things happen is when it's over the long term like so for example the book the books um I really I think showed it up so I was really good at writing where there was like a clear date and you've got to get it done and then once it's done I'm like okay what's what's the next thing I can make happen and you're like oh no it's going to come back for another review and I'm like really haven't we <laughs> haven't I made that happen already <laughs> <laughs> you ticked it off your yeah, list yeah. yeah yeah so um that's it's something that I have to be aware of. But if you need something starting, uh, getting done really, really quickly, you need people being brought together to activate something. That's where my make it thing happen is most effective. If you need a project managing for 12 months with a consistent level of energy, it's probably not going to play to my make it happen strength. Yeah, it's really interesting. One of my um, values is ideas and I, I love coming up with new ideas and um, it's something I do on a probably too regular basis, Helen would tell you. Um, <laughs> but sometimes, honestly, I'll come up with an idea. I'll sort of maybe just WhatsApp Helen and be like, I think this could be quite cool. This could be interesting. By the end of the day, she's like built something. And I was like, oh, I've not even finished thinking it through yet, to yeah. be honest. But but that it is incredible to see that kind of make it happen drive kick in is I think if you can spot an opportunity to like, test it quickly you know the whole done is better than perfect I think that's again where we're quite complimentary um I'd written something today that actually I shared with Helen <laughs> and I said oh you know what do you think I'm quite happy to reflect on that writing for one to two weeks mm -hmm. Helen was like send it today and I was like what do you mean send it today I was like there's a reflection period yeah and I'm pretty sure there's some tweaks and I'm, I'm not sure about this one sentence and I'll really like to the point of overthinking and reflecting and that's where I think that's where it's so good and you probably have the same to like not be working in a vacuum not to be by yourself I'm I'm pretty confident I would never want to run a business by myself because I just I just see the benefits in the two of us and I'm, I don't think we'd have finished our book like mm. actually I enjoyed the writing process as somebody who's more introverted a day in front of me where my job was to write a chapter was a good day that's Helen's idea of a nightmare yeah. because she wants to do everything in 45 minute blocks so <laughs> The idea of having to stick to one thing for a day. And so we actually decided to find that we almost didn't divide things equally. Because initially we're like, oh, you know, well, you do that chapter, I'll do this yeah. chapter. And we were like, actually, no, I sort of enjoyed the process of like the longer drafts, writing it much more and kind of got quite into it and got quite into like the groove of that and found the flow of like uh, one project that's quite, you know, you're quite focused and you're quite absorbed in, mm. really rewarding and appealing. 
Whereas Helen was just like, this is this is this is awful. <laughs> I'm like, scan amend send, scan amend send. <laughs> yeah. like, like it's much more. But yeah, you, I think you just got to know it, um, and then uh, sort of recognise each other's strengths and, and work with it. It, it definitely is it's definitely beneficial to have like the yeah. the difference. You both mentioned values there. Mm. What what are values and why are they important? So I think values uh, essentially are your DNA. Is the best way to think of them. They're the things that motivate and drive you they actually form like pretty much during kind of childhood so kind of like really young you know from kind of how your family's set up and then you start to kind of you almost first of all I think you're like a sponge you sort of adopt the values of the things that are kind of around you and you start to kind of copy the world around you and then actually as we kind of move into your teenage years you start to rebel or test those values you know that's when we all sort of start to figure out who we actually are yeah. not just kind of who we think we should be or who our parents tell we tell us we are some of us take that rebellion more seriously than others <laughs> I think in our teenage years and then I think you start to you sort of have those things and they're kind of there but often they're almost an unconscious compass so they are things that are impacting our choices and our decisions and how happy we are day to day in all aspects of our life we're often just not sure what what they are and I think when you start to think about what are my values what are things that really matter to me my kind of core values that actually show up regardless of kind of what I'm doing where I'm spending my time they're the things that you would almost trade off uh versus other versus other things and and when you're missing those values or when so when they're not part of your life or when they're in conflict that's often when you're you're most unhappy and when you're living your values that's often when you're yeah, living the dream. That's when you're kind of really loving kind of what you're doing. Um, and you don't have work values or home values. Your values are just your values. And they definitely take a bit of time to figure out. Yeah. So I think you can make some progress quite quickly by asking yourself kind of what's important to you questions. So what's important to you about the work that you do? What's important to you about the people you spend time with? What's important to you about where you spend your time? Those kind of questions can get you, you know, quite far quite quickly. But then I think you have to really kind of sit with those values for a while and think about what do those words mean to you? Are they the right words? Defining those words. Um, and certainly when I first did a values process, um, I remember doing it for the first time sitting actually in Canary Wharf and just came up with loads of work values and then did it at home and came up with a whole different set. Yeah. And I was like, oh, am I, am I basically two different people? And you're not. You just not thought deep, deeply kind of enough about like you as a, as a kind of individual but I but I think from all of the work that we've done with people when they do start reflecting on their values and start to figure them out it's probably the most transformational thing we ever see with people because then they start to realize oh that's why I found that moment in my life particularly hard in retrospect yeah and actually that's why also I really like these things or these things are most important and ultimately the reason I think to figure them out is then you can make the best choices for you so not the best choices based on what you think you should do or what other people think you should do. You start to go, I'm going to make this choice because I, I know this will mean I can live my values and ultimately that will make me happier. Um, and it takes a confidence to do that. But I think you have more confidence to make those choices and sometimes brave, what feel like quite brave choices because you think, oh, I'm going to get more of my values in my life if I do that thing. It's actually talking earlier about moving for me from full-time corporate career to full-time kind of entrepreneur, small business career. And um, 
that could have been quite a hard decision. I spent a lot of time invested in this kind of corporate career. But actually, when I looked at it through the lens of my values, so which one of these things is going to give me more freedom? Which one of these things is going to fuel my energy more? Which one is going to give me more achievement? Which one is going to fulfill my need for growth more? When I just, and then they're my, the things that are most important to me in work and life. Then I was like, oh, well, that's that makes it so much easier. I don't need to think about this as much more. It's, it's clearly this option. So I'm going to go and, and, and do that and put whatever I need to put into place to make that happen. So I think it does really help you when you're exploring possibilities and you've got options in front of you, not be led by sometimes what we, we call them shiny objects. So a status like a job title or a company or a salary, something that seems really, really glamorous and nice and can sometimes lead you down the wrong opportunity um, and that stuff wears off quite quickly because if you're really unhappy in the job or the company um, but you still got your nice your nice job title it doesn't mean much but mm. if if you've got I've worked before in jobs I didn't love but in organizations where I, I, I my values were so fulfilled and it gives you the reason to stay and the reason to explore and the reason to maybe craft your job and weave yourself around the organization because it's fundamentally more fulfilling they're also a brilliant way of understanding other people mm. so uh, yes it's it's incredibly powerful to understand your own but knowing uh, the values of the people around you also helps you to kind of spot why someone might be finding something difficult that you don't find difficult because someone's got potentially quite different values yeah. to you it helps you to you know if you're thinking about people at work helps you to think about well how might they want to spend their time or if a certain decision might have a certain impact on someone so even now just listening to Helen's values you know if if freedom is her number one value if suddenly I said to Helen oh as part of our business I think we should work in the same way or in the same place every day that's probably going to be like the worst case scenario for her because you're taking away her freedom or if I said oh we're going to manage our diaries in the same way so that every Monday we do this thing or that thing like for some people they might be like yeah sure that that seems sensible that'd be fine but I would know that for Helen that would be really difficult or just not the right thing to do and it also just helps I think for your own self-awareness of we all have like really bad days and often you can spot in them you're like oh okay well actually that's because you know learning is one of my values or variety is one of my values and there's just not been that in this day and it was some, you know, that's inevitable because not every day is a brilliant day and you sort of then feel okay about it because you understand why. I think sometimes just that understanding is just really useful and then you can actually just look for how can I live more of my values more of the time and it doesn't always have to be from work. So, you know, if like we both have a value of achievement, which actually we live in quite different ways, which is important, I think, to appreciate, like you can have the same word, but it can mean quite different things. Um and, you know, one of the ways that I live my achievement value is by playing sport. Um, and actually, now that I can't, I don't do that as much anymore because I've got a, a small toddler, so which means sport's sort of slightly out the window a little bit at the moment. <laughs> but I really miss it. Yeah. But I know why I miss it. And you know that it's okay. It's okay for a bit. Um, so, you know, like you, everyone's always making choices, trade-offs and kind of compromises. But I think if that was kind of missing from your life and you didn't kind of understand why, you might be feeling like, oh, I sort of missed that. And maybe you get kind of more sad or like struggle with it a bit more whereas I, I know I definitely miss a bit of my achievement value from not being able to play sport and I spent years doing it and love it and it's just not part of my life at the moment because practically it doesn't work but I'm more okay with it almost like because I understand my values it goes back full circle to the thing that sort of started the business back in 2013 because one of the things that we were reflecting on was the people that were coming to us going I just don't know what makes me happy at work 
it is your values that make you happy. And it's not that knowing them suddenly solves it and it's like you're happy every day, but it gives you some ability to control it because you can you can say okay I know what I know what is most important to me and I'm now know what I can go and do to get a bit more of it or I'm making a conscious choice I'm not going to have that but I understand what it is I know I know when and how I'm going to get it back so it it is all back to that kind of happiness and, and fulfillment and what really motivates and drives you. Yeah, you can. I guess you can use it like a compass. And, totally, exactly. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's one of my favorite parts of the book. And what I really want to do is actually really think about what my values are, because through reading it, I was like, okay, that's something that I've not worked on. Um, and so, and so, yeah, maybe being able to make sort of clearer decisions once once I know yeah. what those. It are. It almost reminds me of start with why, but like for, for yourself. Yeah, very yeah. much. Yeah. I feel like it's the kind of thing that people should do at the start. It's because if everyone just knew everyone else's values everything would be so much easier yeah. mm. I mean I'm sure there's a TED talk in them start with your why between us all we should just go and do that yeah if we all wore t-shirts with like with your top three values on it it would be so, <laughs> so much easier wouldn't yeah. it I'll, I'll download something upon the TV that just says TED and we'll quickly do it to camera yeah <laughs> they're saying it. that you talk about um, having your values on your t-shirt I think once I got more confident in my values it's actually how I used to um, introduce myself to people. Not by like, that's the first sentence. Oh, hey, I'm Sarah. Here are my values. Um, but I do remember like joining, when actually I joined that creative agency, um, that, that when I was introducing myself to the team, I used my values to kind of tell stories a little bit about like who I was, the things that mattered to me. And I was actually quite explicit and transparent about these are my values and this is how you'll see them show up. And it is such a useful shortcut to get to know someone really quickly and like when I was thinking about what jobs I wanted to do next uh, you know I would talk to people about all oh, these things that really matter to me you don't have to use the word values you can just say oh the things that really matter to me are these things I tend to be at my best in jobs where those things are kind of what's needed or that's what's kind of in that environment and again if that doesn't feel right you sort of don't want to go and do those jobs I've anyway. heard you guys talk before as well about like through what you say to other people then becomes part of your identity yeah. and how people then refer back to you and they will then say oh there goes joe he's honest and yeah, because yeah. you always that, that's what you're those are the words that you're always using so people start to associate that with you which i think could be really powerful so what have you guys learnt from writing the book has it been a has it been a steep curve yes i think it has um almost because you simultaneously are learning to write a book which is something we've never done before um and like it's probably three or four times harder than i'd ever anticipated just the actual process of writing editing editing again editing again wanting it to be as brilliant as it possibly can be and you go through all these like weird stages of like oh it's good oh no it's useless maybe it's good (laughs) oh no it's brilliant and like just the emotional roller coaster is insane so there's kind of that um is really intense but but simultaneously, you're also learning about publishing, which is a whole other industry and actually how that industry works. And it's funny because you are um, it's not something you've done before, even like for the first time ever, I probably really appreciate how annoying jargon and acronyms are. And so, you know, there'd be that honestly would be emails from like your publisher or from parts of different parts of your publisher where you think, I just don't understand that sentence. Yeah. So not only am I trying to do this thing that's, uh, you know, really kind of stretching, you also don't know that industry. You're trying to kind of figure that out. Yeah. What should you be doing? What shouldn't you be doing? Oh, there's a really funny email about rectos and versos. Yeah. And we're like, I mean, I don't know what we should do with this email. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I was, uh, we were actually on the train um, to go and see our book get made in real life. That's cool. Which was really cool. the coolest day, the best day. 
and um, so, like somebody rang us about like delivering some of the books that, <laughs> of our own books that we'd ordered and started talking to me about like how they were going to be like packed and all this sort of stuff. I literally had to like hand the phone over to someone from Penguin. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, you can keep talking to me, but yeah. but I mean, I don't, I don't, the words are not making any sense. So I was just like, oh, oh yeah, I'm just going to pass you over to someone from Penguin. Just literally handed the phone over. And of course, because it was their job and she was a production manager, straight away she was like, this is what you need to do. This yep. is how it works. So I think it's just, it's a lot to absorb in kind of a short space of time. But also it's a thing that I've enjoyed the most in the last two years. It's the thing I'm most proud of in the last two years. Um, and actually, I think we and we've talked about this more to kind of today. The, it helped us, I think, to learn a lot about each other quickly in a way that we hadn't anticipated. I think we knew we thought we knew each other really well because we've known each other for 19 years. But uh, you really know each other well when you work on a book together because yeah. just be, just because of that whole the whole kind of process. So um, it's funny when people are like, oh, what's the next book going to be about? I think you have moments where you think I will never write another book because it just because you now know just how Intense. hard it is and yeah. kind of intense it is. And then you remember all the good stuff and you're like, well, actually, yeah, we will, we will write another book. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm currently in the excited I will write another book phase. Um, I had two favourite moments. So there was the going to see it printed when we were just like, when I mean, we were just not. Like we were school so, kids, Yeah, giddy. we were like, oh yeah. my gosh, that's our book. Like waving to the book as it was on the line. <laughs> it was very embarrassing, but like it was a good moment. And then the second was a sort of like a weird moment, really. So we'd, you know, like, you go through so many revisions of this book and we were sat in like a members club and we both printed it out and it was like the final revision. We both printed out individually reviewed it individually marked any word that we didn't think was quite right or any sentence that wasn't quite flowing and obviously Sarah and I wrote different chapters and edited each other's chapters and occasionally our publisher like our editor would add bits in or other people would be adding bits in and we sat down to review it together this was like the final changes and what was really exciting was on for me anyway in some kind of weird way it was like on each page we'd pretty much I think 80% of the things that we had spotted had been the same thing. So we could spot where, I mean, it's a 60,000 word book and we could spot the word that somebody else might have put in that wasn't our word because we... We know that content so well. We've, you know, it's it's basically the sum of six years and you know hundreds yeah, and hundreds of yeah. workshops now, and we know it so well that I found I took a lot of confidence from the effort that we'd put in it and uh, our knowledge of what we'd written that we could spot that one word in yeah. sixty thousand or that one sentence in a chapter that we were like, oh, we both said that's not quite right. Um, yeah, I think probably the most rewarding moment actually for me so far has been somebody has uh, got an early copy of the book someone we don't know and reviewed it on Goodreads. So not someone who you'd ask to endorse it or testimony or anything like that. It's just someone kind of random who's clearly been given a copy of the book. Um, and she'd written a review about it. And I think all the words that she was using to describe it were the things that we were hoping. Perfect. Like, it's useful. It's really action-focused. I can imagine using this. And was just sort of describing then how it'd be useful in her work life um, in a very kind of day-to-day way. Like, we talked about at the very start, like, how to... Um, oh, I'd recommend this to other people I work with. I think all the things that you are hoping for yeah. were in that review. And I thought, well... She doesn't know us, doesn't really know any of our work, probably hasn't like listened to any of our podcasts or anything like that. Hopefully that means that then it translates further than just kind of our existing community um, with all the things that we want it to. And that was the moment where I was like, okay, maybe it's going to be okay. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not sure, but may, maybe it's going to be okay. And how did you consolidate six years and all this information you must have gathered down into one book? 
for so we have five core skills that we focus on in that squiggly career um, piece that we think are the most like the starting point. There's other things that we look at, but these are like the starting point, the foundations. And so we we knew those. So that's values, strengths, confidence, network, and future. They're like our five things, and we because we've run so many sessions so for each of those we have like a 90 minute evening session that we've mm-hmm. done for six years and so and we know that each of those sessions has about four exercises in we know the stories that we can use to bring it to life we know the research and the data so we pretty much got like we've got all the content we know mm-hmm. what works for people uh, it was just about um putting that into kind of a written content but because we work with clients we do we do summaries for our organizations on these things so they can take action when we're not in the room so I think for us it was just putting a a little bit more flesh around some of the things yeah the, the interesting thing was and this is where I'm so glad that we had an editor as part of the process is she has been brilliant at she would go through and do every single exercise and there's okay. a big difference between us being in a room and talking to you about an exercise and then we can be here to answer any questions, to demonstrate all those kind of things. Somebody reading a book on a tube or on a bus or wherever, like having a coffee and you're not there. So if it's not clear, it the whole the whole, the whole of the book falls down if yeah. things are not clear and it doesn't make sense and it's it doesn't, you know, you can't, it doesn't flow from one thing to the next. And I think um, our editor has been so involved, um, really cares, really wants it to be a success as well. And I think we've really felt and appreciated that, that she would keep going through exercises. She'd get other people in Penguin to go through them. And so any bit that didn't quite make sense, I felt like we were also stress testing that it worked from a distance, not just in person. Because actually, though like the core of the content was all there, but it was all there and quite used to being delivered in person with us physically there so anything that's rough around the edges or isn't quite clear or perhaps you're not having your best ever day you can kind of you've got each other you can answer questions it's easier when you're physically there and I think that was the bit that um we kind of really useful to kind of have the help and I think that made it go from being 80% where I think we would have got it to like 70 80% I think like she added like another 20% of like brilliance to it essentially do you think that any any of her feedback has now come into your workshop so it's kind of like helped you the other way around and um, I quite liked her she, she had a lot of points around like your active language so not yes. like not like a we think this is a good way of doing it she'd be like make make that much more active this is the best way to approach it in this way yeah. or, so you might want to try doing this she's like try this you know so we or you know like in between words we we would include quite a lot of in between words in our writing I think because we didn't want to be um arrogant you know yeah. you want to be and you want to give people options and you're trying to use friendly language um but actually you realize that can come across as kind of lacking confidence and you're trying to give people confidence in yeah. their career so it's the exact opposite of what you're trying to do and we hadn't really spotted it and as soon as she said it <laughs> like they were everywhere yeah. she's like oh you might want to maybe Consider try this yeah, approach yeah. <laughs> and, and like you and then suddenly you write in a much more articulate straightforward direct way which is just it's also easier to read and I think that's also impacted my writing generally so I was writing an article this week and I'm now so much more aware of that I think my writing has has got better as a result yeah. so yeah she's done as lots of kind of positive yeah. services all over the place yeah we've definitely found that like with the podcast because we go through and edit it and you're listening to yourself again and again yeah. you pick up all those little mistakes so it's quite often we'll be like I think this and then we kind of stop ourselves like I don't think 
this is because it's like you're trying to give people that confidence as you're saying and you can't do that if you're like well i think this is a bit of like a well just in case you don't agree it's a massive caveat yeah. Isn't yeah, it? yeah and yeah people are looking for confidence and um yeah we find that when we listen back to the podcast we've definitely still not cracked it yeah, we have. Oh, yeah. but you have like phrases don't you and you just think i don't need to, i don't know why i say that i don't need to say that but it's because you know you're trying to talk in a conversational way um and i I do think you have to give yourself a break sometimes because you can't be perfect the whole time but it's why it's so valuable i think to have other people critique your work who are experts and friendly and on your side and want you to succeed so we talked about criticism earlier kind of killing creativity i think criticism kind of constructively given and given in the spirit of wanting to make things better wanting to help you to succeed makes you like can really help to kind of propel you to be kind of even better and I think that's what our editor has done for us I think because you've got a shared objective of you want the book to be successful yeah. you then every, all of her and sometimes her comments did feel quite, quite harsh yeah. she's, she's quite direct I think they, they kind of have to be she's like ugh horrible line you'd be yeah. like oh, okay, okay. Well, you want to change that one <laughs> yeah. oh no and like, sure <laughs> but it's funny like you'd think those things because you're writing quite something quite personal that you've developed you think that would be heartbreaking but actually at no point did I ever find that tough to take yeah I th- and, it, and I think it really taught me that the value of being very clear about we are all here, here together for a common objective whereas actually if you'd been trying to do different things it would I think it would have been I think there would have been things that I'd have taken really personally yeah. um, I distinguish between um criticism and critique like in my mind criticism comes from a place of somebody who's 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 got an opinion and they want to load it on you whereas i think of critique as being more like somebody who's trying to improve yeah molding the part rather than just smashing it up and i'm trying when someone gives me i'm like which where is this which one is this coming from and i think emotionally i respond to it slightly differently depending on which which space it is yeah there's a good book by the founder of pixar called creative t inc in that he talks about the culture they're built at pixar and how candor is so important in everything they do because everyone has to be on Honest. otherwise they're going to create something that isn't perfect and that they had films that got so far through like millions of pounds have been invested in it they sat down they'd have these meetings where people would watch it and be as brutally honest as possible and there was one that was just like it's just not emotional enough it's not bringing giving me anything so they completely scrapped it and then with up as well there was a huge like rewrite in it because it just didn't really took on those heartstrings and i think because of that big piece of candor then they added the bit at the start where his wife died and it was all like really emotional spoiler alert but like yeah but also that's so interesting because that's such an emotional film exactly yeah because i've read and that and it's so that good originally. yeah yeah and it, they raises, talked- it raises the question how did coco get through their their things because that was terrible <laughs> oh, I now is that critique or criticism criticism <laughs> <is right. laughs> throw in the bin <laughs> I, I, did, I did not like Coco. I thought it was crap compared to compared to like Pixar movies. It just was not good. Enough. Not up to your standard. No. Hey. Give give them that feedback. <laughs> I'm sure that I'm sure, I'm sure that <laughs> everyone's a critic. Um, so we're in 2020 now. Um, one thing that I was really thinking about a lot in um, 2019 was balance. I was part of a panel that was I was the only guy on the panel. In fact, I was the only guy in the room, and um, it was and the theme was balance and. Um, I nearly got booed out of the building when when it went because I was the last I was like sitting on the end of the row and so we went down all of the other panelists um, who were talking about how much they struggled with balance and then it got to me and I was like 
don't really struggle with balance. And they were like, oh, typical only guy in the room, like, because they're like, we're, we're mums. We like, we have to balance everything. And we feel like we have all of these responsibilities and all of this shit to do to keep everyone happy um, and look good while doing it. And there you are, like you idiot guy who just looks at like one thing that's in front of you. And like, that's the thing that you have to do. Um, How are you like balancing your career being mums um, with all of this work, like getting new business, writing a book, mm. um, as well as uh, like, um, Helen, you've got, you do Eventbrite roulette where you just <laughs> pick a random event to go to and you'll, you might end up at a calligraphy class. Um, I guess that's, that's just to like keep you curious and, and discovering new things because yeah. you never know what's going to come from those opportunities. But how are you guys both finding balance? So it's a really, it's a really, really good question. So I am very energized by the things that I do. So let's say I just did one thing. I might kind of go on paper. That gives me more balance because I'm just going to Mm -hmm. do one single job and do one thing and then I'm going to go home and I'm going to be a mum. But I, that wouldn't give me energy. Like I'd be really, really flat. I think I'd feel tired. So actually my husband was saying this last night, we were at dinner table. So, and this is going to make me sound horrendous, but (laughs) I am, I got, I've been getting up quite early this morning to read a book, like, because I'm, I'm really excited about this book. It's called Rebel Ideas. And I get up quite early, like before my husband and before my kids. And so I can fit in a bit, a bit more reading, but that's not because I'm like, trying to you know squeeze more hours into the day that kind of thing it's because I'm just really excited about reading that book and I want a bit of time on my own to read it so for me there is I recognize that for me there is a certain amount of activity that I can do which gives me energy and that that means that I can do some more equally there's a tipping point right so if I do too much I'll get too tired so uh, the ways that I get balanced so do things that I really love that give me energy I have uh, a lot of support so uh, you know I have amazing childcare. my husband uh, we're kind of like a a dual career couple if you will so he's got a busy job as well but we'll kind of make sure if he if I need to be home for the kids we have those discussions kind of frank discussions Mm -hmm. at the weekend pretty much switch off like actually Sarah and I are very what I would say very on in the week we're in touch a lot we're juggling a lot and there's lots of different projects that are working on but at the weekend we hardly contact each other it's like it's it's and it's never been a rule that we have set it's just been something that is quite healthy for us and we don't even see each other that much like at the weekends at all it's just our outside lives the time we spend we're kind of mums and partners and doing all that kind of stuff so Mm. Oh, yeah, great, great support. Do things that I have energy for. Find times to switch off. And sometimes I'll just be like, tonight I'm not, I'm not going to be looking at my phone tonight. I'm going to have a bath and basically be on my own. And I not suppose feel- that's like self-discipline in a way because we all always like attach self-discipline to oh, I need to be disciplined to do the work. But when you run your own business, like you, I guess you also have to be disciplined to find those times not to do the work. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think especially like in the evenings, uh, it's, it's so tempting because we like what we do as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so tempting to be like, oh, I'm going to do some more things. But actually, like, I do like my husband. <laughs> I do want to spend some time talking to him. <laughs> oh, you meant to say love. Like, you yeah. meant to say love. Oh, that's well. Oh, right, okay. A bit both. <laughs> um, but I, and so I do want to spend that time. So sometimes you just have to leave your phone somewhere else or like for, it's weird like for us a big a big thing is having dinner together at the table like we'll generally be doing whatever we're doing and oh look god you've got peloton stuck on the peloton but like by about eight o'clock we sit at a table and we probably talk have dinner and talk for about an hour and for me that that gives me a lot of balance in my day because I hear from someone else have a different conversation I feel connected to that person and then I can go and do you know go read my books or do I do none of that stuff I don't (laughs) I don't get up early and I don't talk to my partner for an hour we have very different life dynamics uh I'm not an early morning person 
Um, I'm, I'm like made to get up by my toddler, but I wouldn't otherwise. Uh, I get better as the day goes on. And actually quite like working uh, sort of that 5, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. sort of slot. I, I really enjoy, which is challenging when you've got to go and pick up your kid from nursery because that's exactly when you're going to pick them up. Yeah. So I sometimes find that really frustrating. <laughs> if I'm a bit like I'm sometimes in the middle and I think, oh, I'm I'm actually in quite good flow, but obviously I sort of have to go and get him, you know, it's part of the deal. Yeah. Um, so I, but genuinely, because I've recognised that, I do try to make sure that a couple of nights of the week, it's, and, and my partner and I sort of share, share all our kind of drop-offs, pickups and stuff, that it's not me doing that. And that actually then I'll keep, I'll either stay in a workspace or something like that so I can have that productive time because mm. I know that's time where I quite like working. I also don't aim for balance every day, every week in terms of, if I think about all the things I love doing in all the different aspects of my life, I think if you aim for all balance all of the time, you're, you're always going to lose. And so I, I always feel it's more like a um, kind of constant calibration is kind of the way I think of it. And that you've got to give yourself permission that it's okay to do things that are not work related in a quieter week. So if I have a quieter week, I might do like two or three times more exercise that week because I'll just think, yeah. oh, I'll book into a class today oh, I can do a class tomorrow as well. And suddenly that week you go, oh, I've really, I feel good because I've had the chance to do a bit more exercise or I've seen my little boy Max a little bit more that week. And then if some weeks I can't do loads of exercise and all I can do is like, you know, one thing or I've just walked around London and sort of gone, yeah, that's sort of the exercise done for today, (laughs) which is basically what I've done this week. Um, And I've worked loads more. I don't sort of beat myself up about that because I think I don't really want to waste energy beating myself up about working a lot that week. What I want to do is make sure I don't do that every week. And I think yeah. that that's the thing for me. It's a weird one, isn't it? It's like everyone talks about balancing in terms of a single day, mm. whereas that's just a weird time frame that mm, people yeah. are just like forced upon that. Whereas I feel like, yeah, if you spread it over a bigger period of time, like have balance over a week. So maybe work really hard for three days and then take a couple of days to relax. Like I know that um, I think it's Daniel Priestley will work for like three or four, three or four months and then take like a month off and three or four months and a month off and you just spread it out differently I think everyone's different in terms of what their loads are and what they can cope with but they don't people need to realize that it doesn't have to be within the 24 hours like you have to do this much work and then have the balance of like not doing it's like the busy thing you know when everyone says they're busy all of the time I sort of don't buy it like I I couldn't do that I'm actually a bit almost like that that kind of Daniel that you just mentioned I'm good in terms of going right two two months maybe or something like that where I'm going working really hard like for us that period of like you know really I worked a lot when we were writing that book and there was like you know when you are that is when you're doing the late nights I was working some weekends there but I knew that it was finite and I was like there's a real moment and then I was like over the summer I definitely had days where I was like oh I'm gonna finish like three o'clock or you're gonna pick your kid up from nursery earlier that time and and I think I because because variety is one of my values I really like the kind of the ebbs and the flows and knowing that those things are coming um and I find that a good way to work and it kind of gives me energy but I don't think to your point I don't think that's for everyone some people I honestly think if they looked at lots of people maybe who do run their own business or they maybe looked at how we worked in an average week they'd be like that is not for me like that's not how I want to be spending my time and I would completely understand and appreciate that it all depends sort of as well like we all have so much time every week and you've got to you do have to make choices about what you want to spend that time doing like mm. i wouldn't say we spend loads of time socializing with our friends because we just don't because we probably spend that time now working and combining that with looking after kids yeah. so you, d- you just can't make all of those things always fit perfectly and you just have to decide almost 
I always think, what does a successful week or a successful month look like to you? And if you know the answer to that question, you can figure out how you should be spending your time. And just to go back to the point on managers that we were talking about earlier, because I think we, you know, we work for ourselves. So if if we've got that awareness, we can kind of put those things into place. But some people might go, well, I've got a manager. I think one of the most (laughs) um, liberating things that a manager can do is create like, just give people permission to work in a way that works for them um, and that might mean that people are doing different hours or people are working from home but if you've got high trust environments and you've kind of been explicit about work in a way that works for you and um, we work with many supermarket and we interviewed them recently for um, around flexibility they have some great practices around flexibility and I was like okay so what's the policy they were like well point one there isn't a policy it's just it's just how we work. We have not got a written document to say yeah. this. We don't want to because then people will be like, oh, they're doing it right and that person's doing it wrong. Yeah. It's not It's not a documented policy. It's cultural that you can work your way. Um, and, you know, you talk to your manager about what that looks like for you, but go, go do it. We trust you to go and do it. And I think when you've got that in an organisation, that gives people, it empowers them to work in a way that means that they can do their best work. I heard you guys talk about before as well that there's, I can't remember which company it was, but you were talking about there's a company that um, they won't ask you why you want flexible working. There's, um... Um, there's a reason agnostic. So there's um, uh, HSBC uh, have, they were really focused on in- increasing flexible working. But what they noticed was that when people were going to ask their manager, their manager would be like, well, what, why, you know, what are you doing? And even if it wasn't coming from a place of judgment, it was felt like, mm. oh, oh, well, I'm, I'm a parent. That's why I'm, and that's a better reason from somebody who's going, oh, I want to go on a creativity yeah. course one day a week. I want to go do my side project. It felt like, they were being judged, which was affecting people's confidence in asking for the request. So they just said, it's reason agnostic. Like you do not, don't ask why. It's just, okay, how? How how would this work? How would your job work in this way? What would we need to do to support you? Maybe trial it first before we kind of put this in place. So I just thought that making flexible work for all and making it reason agnostic are just brilliant principles for organisations that want to create that environment. 100%. Well, look, we've kept you much longer than we should have. Um, could talk to you guys all day, literally. So um, thank you so much. There's there's very few podcasts that we recommend to people because um, a lot of people get in touch with us and say, what other podcasts are like yours? And we're like, well, there's not really any. Like, um, but, so there's, but there's a very small list, but yours is one of the podcasts that we definitely recommend to our thank listeners. You. So Squiggly Careers, go nice. and uh, um, check it out. And yeah, we love the book as well. So thank you for coming on. Can you let our listeners know where to find you online? Uh, yeah, so Instagram, we are at Amazing If Instagram. We do daily career tips, trying to give people like a little thing every day. Um, you can go to our website as well, where we're just amazingif.com and just search for the book, The Squiggly Career, and you'll, you'll find us, I think, in all of those places. Amazing. Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you so, so much, much for having us. us. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. To get any value from these episodes, it would mean the world to us if you could share the podcast with someone who needs it. You can always reach out to us on Instagram at rebelscreate or head over to creativerebels.co. And remember, always be creating. See ya.